0: Well, it's still cold outside, but we're cooking up hot takes here on another edition of Ralphie Report Radio with your host, Jack Stern. And before I get into anything else, let me just say that we are expanding our podcasting network here on Ralphie Report Radio. I don't want to go into too many details, obviously, but let me just say we have a lot planned for the future and... Good things are upcoming for the Ralphie Report Radio Network on SB Nation, so be sure to stay tuned in that regard as well. But also, on a more sad note, I want to extend my condolences on behalf of everyone at the Ralphie Report to TJ Cunningham and his family. Now, when I last recorded an episode of the podcast, he was in critical condition after being shot by his neighbor over a parking dispute. And he eventually died because of his injuries. Very sad day for the entire Colorado community. TJ was not just a guy who touched people's lives on the field, but off it as well, where he was an assistant principal at high school in Aurora. Also a football coach as well, but just a really sad day. Played with Rashan Salam was the Godfather. Rashan Salam was the godfather to his children. He eventually passed away. It's always sad to p- see people, uh, buffs, part of the CU community, die, but it's even sadder to see a family lose someone so important to senseless violence. And you know, there's so much hate out there in this world nowadays, and eventually I just have to hope that it comes to an end. Our contributor, Jeff Hauser was really close with TJ, and he wrote an article about him earlier this week, but that doesn't do justice to the feelings we have for the entire Cunningham family, and we wish them a speedy recovery and hope they're better soon. But moving on now to CU Hoops, there was a lot going on this past weekend, starting with the Colorado-Washington State game on Wednesday devastating two-point loss, 72-70, which was followed up by the game last night where they lost 64-55. Defensive battle on both ends. I'll get into all that, including the upcoming home homestand where they face off against Utah, UCLA, and then USC to close things out. Colorado currently sits seventh in the Pac-12. I'll talk about what they can do if they win out and where I see them fitting into the NCAA tournament. And also the NFL scouting combine begins on Tuesday. Evan Worthington was the lone buff invited this year, but I think he's a guy who has a chance to do some damage. I mean, he's a really good player, has a lot to offer. I'll talk about what's at stake for him, all that and more. But starting off, that was a really tough loss to Washington State on Wednesday night. I mean, to be honest with you, I just thought that was a game that they needed to win to get some momentum going. If you look at the remaining schedule and you take a look at the games they had, you face Utah, UCLA, USC, all of those are good teams, and the problem with playing them is I feel like one of them is likely to come in and get a victory against you, probably Utah, because they're playing really good basketball right now. They had a big win against Washington State in Pullman, actually, last night, so Yeah, I mean, I think there's a decent shot that you lose one of those games. And Washington State 11th in the conference, second to last. I just, To be honest with you, I just felt like that was a must-win game. And I said it last week, I feel like it could have been a trap game. You have Robert Marks, C.J. Ellaby, who both those guys absolutely scorched the buffs on Wednesday night. But to be honest with you, what concerned me the most was how how they kind of broke down defensively against Washington State that that was really the most upsetting aspect of that game colorado's a team that's has the ability to go off offensively on a given night but you know they win a lot of their games on the defensive end of the floor and they let the cougars shoot 52.6% from beyond the arc and that was probably the most concerning statistic in my opinion 10 made 3s out of 19 attempts they were re- they were just really getting it done all together they shot 45.5% from the field 48 in the first half 43.33 in the second but yeah i think the the fact that they broke down defensively let robert franks go off and have a 19 point game uh Ella B. had 18 points four assists and, you know, those those two guys really scorched the team. Washington State had four guys in double figures, but it was Franks and Ellerby who just really tore the buffs apart. See, the interesting part about this game, though, was that Ellerbee was coming off the bench, and you usually don't know how guys respond uh, when that type of thing happens. Lucas Sewert had to respond in that fashion when he lost his starting spot or he was taken out of the lineup in favor of the more physical uh, Evan Batty against Washington. I'll get into the impact of that in a second, but let me just say this. Ella B answered the call, and it, 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 he he played lights out against Colorado, shooting six for 13 from the field, four for four from the line. Most of the times when a guy gets benched, you see them pout a little bit, you see them upset, but Ellaby came off, played 27 minutes off the bench, pretty much was a starter once the game got going, and he got into the game, and he just killed the Buffs on so many different levels. He had one really nice play where he faked out Lucas Seward and just drained a wide-open three and got to the rim a couple times, had a nice and one later in the game. But if the Buffs, I mean, stop Franks and Ellaby and try to contain them, and put all their eggs in the basket of trying to not let them get the ball and get easy shots and I think they win this game I mean mean, I'll go on the record saying it this was not their best game they they didn't play as well as they usually do they would have been down probably by five points at the break if McKinley Wright didn't drain a last second three but you know it, it was those two guys who absolutely killed them and I just hope in a game going forward, I mean, they did a pretty good job not letting anyone take over the game against Washington. Granted, Matisse Stiebel had six steals and, you know, was kind of a wrecking ball in that sense. But, I mean, they didn't let one guy kill them in that game, and they haven't really let one guy kill them all season long, if I dare say so myself. And this game, it really seemed like Ellaby and Franks just went off. And it, it was hard to watch, in a sense, just because you knew the ball was going to them when they came up the floor. And, you know, the Buffs just could not stop those two guys, and they played lights out, but for, in my opinion, this was a real momentum-swinging win. I mean, I, I don't think Colorado lacked effort at any more, any point of the game, and let me just say this, I really applaud how they haven't given up all season long, you know, and being in the situations they were in, they could have took their foot off the gas as a team, kind of pouted, felt bad for themselves, been like, we're not where we want to be, but Tad Boyle and his crew i mean they they stayed motivated all year long, and you know I want to give them credit for that, but I think this game might have been you know a thorn in their side in a sense that you 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 had five games remaining, and you needed to win four of those if you beat Washington State, I think you go in I don't think they beat Washington, but I think you go in there and maybe give them a better fight than they did but now, looking down the stretch, you could potentially lose another game and find yourself in the bottom quarter of the conference, depending on who you lose to. And being that basketball is a momentum-swinging game, when you lose the games that you're supposed to win, that, that can really hurt you. Especially, especially at this time of year in February, when we're still trying to decide the standings and figure out where everyone fits into the equation. I mean, it's just, it, it's just a bad way to, to lose one. They they should have won that game. they it, it just felt like it was within arm's reach all the way. I mean, they did lead. There was a bunch of lead changes and ties, but for some reason they were just ne- never able to pull away with some momentum in that one. And I think the span of the game that probably hurt them the most was when Washington State went on a 9-0 run when McKinley Wright had to come out for a second. It looked like he was grabbing his right shoulder, which is... He's going to need surgery on after the season. He came out of the game, and Washington State just went on a run, and that was pretty much it. They they were able to pull away, and Colorado never really got back in that one. And I, I applaud the Buffs for having a really good rotation in, in that game. That was something that was really impressive to me. I mean, they operated with a nine-man rotation going on all game. Alexander Strading and... Evan Batty did an outstanding job filling in for Tyler Bay. They had nine points combined on uh four or five shooting in the first half. Really, really good job by the bench. I mean, they they were not the problem. Elijah Parquet, another good defensive effort. Dalen Kuntz, eight points and twenty minutes on three for six shooting. That's that's exactly what you want to see from your bench. But, you know, they couldn't get they couldn't get a uh big-time secondary contributors st- to step up, and then when they lost McKinley, they kind of went into full panic mode. Ty- Tyler Bay had another double-double. He had 12-12, and 12, but after getting two quick fouls, he, he had to sit out for a large portion of the, first, the entire first half. I mean, he only played six minutes in the first half. From your star player, considering that McKinley, your other star, is hurt, I mean, you just need to get a little bit more. And that goes back to my earlier point. It just felt like a game where the Buffs were not going to come away with the win, even though they, I think, are a much better team on a pretty much nightly basis than Washington State. It, just, it was just tough, especially when Tyler went down, because they needed him. Maybe he was being more aggressive. Maybe he wasn't you know, putting forth the effort that Tad Boyle typically likes to see. He does bench his guys from time to time to try to bring his best out, but... They just they just couldn't get it done, and that that could be the loss that really uh, you know leads to the Buffs' downfall this season. But moving on to the Washington game, I thought Colorado, despite what the score said, they were pretty much blown out. I mean Washington State, they they are they are a cut above everybody else. Their defense is really good. They forced Colorado into 19 turnovers. They got eight steals. Matisse Thibault, six of them. I mean, he he must be he might be one of the best uh, defensive players in Pac-12 history. I mean, even since the inception of the Pac-12 conference, he is really unbelievable. To him, to to me, he's like one of those cornerbacks you watch in the NFL who just has a nose for the football and is always getting interceptions. I mean, he he's always where he's always around the play, and it's just weird because. You know, he'll be down low posting someone up, and then he'll be at the top of the key. And, I mean, he... I, I said it earlier that there was no one player that killed them, but I would have to take that back and say Matisse-Steibel really did because of his steals. He also had a game-high 17 points. One In one of the most impressive plays of the season, he knocked the ball away, outran McKinley-Wright, took it, and then slammed it home. I mean, easy dunk in transition. Pretty much synopsized the night... For Colorado, I mean, they they did a good job defensively, but they couldn't get anything going on offense. Turned the ball over too much. Shot just over 41% on the from the field, which I mean, granted, is not bad, but they got off to a really slow start in the first half, which put them down uh, eight points at halftime. Only shot 33% from the field in the first half. I mean, that that really hurt. They just couldn't get good shots. And I mean to be honest with you, although Tyler Bay had another great effort, his six double his six double double in eight games. I mean he's been outstanding on the stat sheet. He had twenty and eleven. Okay, that's good, but I think there were a couple opportunities, and Tad Boyle attested to it a little bit after the game, where he just passed up really good shot opportunities, and you know he he settled for free throw line jumpers a couple times. He was trying that shot. Um, from the side of the key pretty much, and he missed it three times and looked like he had a wide-open lane each time or two guys down low, but Tyler's a physical player. I feel like he could have taken it to the rack, tried to slam it home, tried to get fouled because Colorado is a really good free-throw shooting team. I mean, I don't think that's a secret. They were 7 for 11 from the line against Washington. 15 of 19 against Washington State. I mean, they can shoot free throws. They're a really good free throw shooting team, but he just wasn't aggressive enough in, you know, getting inside and getting to the line. He kind of settled for shots. I personally thought Tyler Bay could have had, you know, 30 points in that game, maybe 25, 30 points. I mean, and he, he took a lot of shot attempts. He was nine. He had 17 shot attempts, and I feel like he could have made two more and gotten to the line for at least two others. That's, that's all I'm going to say. And I don't, I, I'm not sitting here trying to knock the guy who accounted for, you know, over a third of their points. But still, I, I just think that he could have done more to have an impact on that game. He had an outstanding effort, but sometimes when you have a star player, you expect them to step up. And that's kind of what I wanted to see from Tyler Bay. We're talking the Buffs. Huskies game that ended poorly for Colorado here on Ralphie Report Radio. And next up, I'll get into Evan Worthington at the NFL Combine. I think that's going to be personally very interesting to watch, so be sure to stay tuned and stick around for that part of the show. But get coming back to Washington and analyze, hyper-analyzing some aspects of the game, something that Tad Boyle did to probably try to light a fire under this team, at least in some sense, was he sat? He started Evan Batty and sat Lucas Seward. And, you know, against a team like Washington that's so dominant inside, I, I understood the move trying to get a physical guy in there, you know, substituting the height for the physicality and the energy that Evan Batty brings to the table. And it, it was a move that I thought might have paid off. But the problem with Batty and the issue with him all season long is that he just has not been able to stay out of foul trouble. And he picked up two early fouls, and, you know, Tad Boyle just had to take him out of the game. That seems to be the norm with Pac-12 coaches and universally across college basketball. When a guy's in foul trouble, they can't risk it any further. I mean, especially considering Colorado's playing with nine-man rotation and Batty plays a distinct role on the team, I mean, you just cannot risk having him get deeper into foul trouble. As a result, he was only able to play 17 minutes of the game. But originally it seemed like Seward was a little bit distracted coming off. I mean, he, he finished the night with four points, two of five shooting in 20 minutes. Not great offensively, but he did a good job pulling down five uh, defensive rebounds as well as two on the offensive end to finish with seven boards. I mean, that's kind of something he's been pretty good at all season long. And I thought – uh Saturday last night, well, we're taping on a Sunday, but Saturday night was no different for the big man. I I honestly thought that was a good move, but going forward, I don't think I would do it. Just because Batty has shown a knack for getting into foul trouble and being that you need him, you can't risk only having him available for 15 to 20 minutes of the game. I mean, especially if he starts to take over, he gets a good matchup inside and is scoring some points for you. Obviously, he's not really a point scoring point scoring first type guy, but you know he is someone who has gotten in rhythm a couple times, and you know he's a night he's a really nice piece off the bench who I think is gonna grow and evolve. Remember, he's only a redshirt freshman, so he has you know room to develop. I think he's gonna be a good piece on this team, but yeah, going forward, I I just can't see starting Batty over Siward because it just limits his availability. I mean that's. That's, simple, that's the simplest way I'll put it. Lucas Seward is best suited starting for this team. He seemed a little bit out of sync uh, coming off the bench. Not right away, actually. I mean, in the long term, he played pretty well. He, ha- he had a good game, but it took him some time to get in the flow. You know what I mean? And Batty's a guy who's accustomed to coming off the bench. He understands what it's like to enter the game after some points have been scored and, you know, guys have gotten in foul trouble or need a breather. You know what I mean? He's, he's used to coming in as, in as a sub. And to me, it was pretty clear that c wasn't. And I, I think that's something that probably hurt uh, Colorado in that game, to be honest, more than helped. I understood the move by Boyle, but it just wasn't one that paid off, in my opinion. I, I think that going forward, you should start c and have Batty, coming off the bench and you know that way you have a little bit more flexibility whether it's bay or seaworth that needs a breather first batty can play either the five or the four i mean he's a little undersized for the five but he's done a good job i mean he you know held his own against chase jeter who has a couple inches off uh, on him against arizona he's done a good job guarding big men so you know someone with his skill set and what he brings to the table i just think that the rest of the way i would have him coming off the bench, period. That's the, that's the only way I'll put it. And, you know, Washington's a tough game. I, I, I don't think anyone thought they were actually going to win that one, but it was, it was just really tough uh, offense. It was a hard offensive night for them. They didn't make enough plays, and that's why, that's why they didn't win the game. I mean, Washington, the, different, the real difference was points off turnovers, 18 points off 19 turnovers for Washington. I mean, <laughs> you're gonna lose a game pretty much nine times out of ten when something like that happens. I mean, realistically. They're they're gonna be real hard to beat, speaking of which once the uh Pac-Twelve tournament comes around. That's that's that to me is obvious. They are they are just unbelievably talented on the defensive end of the floor. Their attention to detail, their ability to get blocked shots, take the ball away, run in transition, all those things. They're a very well-coached team, and, you know, Mike Hopkins has really done an outstanding job for them. But looking looking at Colorado's homestand, uh, their final homestand of the year, end of the regular season before they head out to Vegas and take part in the Pac-12 tournament, I'll look at this, and then I'll get into um, Evan Worthington and his outlook at the NFL Combine. That's going to be real interesting to watch, but... Right now, Colorado sits 7th in the Pac-12 standings. I mean, that's not, that's not bad. People were hoping for a top-four fi- finish. And with the wa- loss against Washington State, I think their chances of getting up that high diminish. But if they want any opportunity of doing so, they have the three teams directly in front of them right now on their home court, and they need to win out if they want to get there. I mean, I think it's also important when you consider that the teams, the fourth, the top four teams get a first-round bye in the tournament. And it gives a little bit more time for them to recover. So it's it's an advantage on a number of different levels. But starting off their game against Utah, that's going to be a big one. Both teams have a week off to kind of replenish and relax. They don't play this game until Saturday. So, you know, a week off from the last time both of them played, that's when um, they'll match up and meet at the CU Event Center. And... Colorado wants to win this game. They're going to have to find a way to contain Utah's stars and A, and B, not turn the ball over. Turning the ball over has been something that's hurt the Buffs really just a whole lot. Um, You know, not as much so in Washington State, but they did have 11 turnovers, and that's not good. And It felt like they just came at key junctures of the game, so that's one thing they're not going to be able to do. But just like... They lost against Washington State. You can't let Cedric Bearfield take over that game. I mean, you can't let him come out and put 20 up on the scoreboard and kill you from all different spots on the floor. I mean, that, that's one thing you need to do, and you need to out-physical them down low as well. Utah has some really good big men, and Timmy Allen, and, you know, I just think that you can't let Bearfield get going, and you need to out-physical and out-rebound them down low. Those are going to be the two keys to beating... A team like Utah, I, I'll wait till next week to get into UCLA and USC because those those games aren't till Wednesday and Saturday. Uh, Wednesday a week, once a week from Wednesday, once a week from Saturday. So um, I'll get into that in the next edition of Ralphie Report Radio. But yeah, Utah is gonna be maybe their biggest game of the season to date. I said the Washington schools was gonna be their biggest road trip. And I just think that Utah is probably the biggest game, single game. I mean, Utah is fourth right now. You got to beat the teams in front of you if you want to move up. Utah beat them last time. You can't let them sweep you. That could, you know, stretch you down the conference either f- even further. And especially considering the team directly behind you, Arizona has a tough matchup against Oregon State later this week in Corvallis. That's a game they probably lose. Oregon plays Arizona State, top two team. They probably lose that one. So, I mean, I wouldn't really be too worried about the teams behind you right now. You just need to find a way to beat the teams in front of you. And they're helped by the fact that the two teams directly in front of them, sitting fifth and sixth, UCLA and USC play each other, uh, coming up on Wednesday and you know those games don't end in a tie at least typically I've never seen a basketball end in a tie comment or send me a message if you have but yeah I mean those two teams will take care of each other one of them will likely be behind Colorado they'll be able, Colorado will be able to probably leapfrog them if they beat Utah and then you know you let Faith do the rest you hope Utah loses one more game you beat USC and UCLA and then you have a shot at potentially sneaking into the top 4. It's still a long shot, but you know, there there the good news is there still is a way to do that And the game against Washington State, although it felt bad and obviously it stung very much so in the moment considering how bad they are, it's not that big of a deal in the big picture of things. They still have a chance to squeeze into the top 4 did make it a little bit harder because of the conference record and how that's factored into everything. But it's still a goal that's very much so attainable. And even if you don't make it into the top four, you want to make it up as high as possible. I mean, if you squeeze into, you're just outside the top four and you're in the number five seed. It's best versus worst. So you play Cal in the first round, and that's a game you're almost guaranteed to win. Now I don't want to get too ahead of myself and talk about guarantees, obviously. I think everyone thought they were going to beat Washington State, but that's, that's a game that you have a good shot at winning. Pretty, pretty good shot at winning, obviously. Almost a sure thing against Cal who has not won one game still since conference play started, lost by 10 to ASU last night. So, yeah, I mean, you, you these games, no matter how you put it, are important. And winning out is important no matter what as well because even if you beat Utah and then they win their final two games and they remain in the top four you get you get pretty a pretty easy game matchup in the first round now let's say you're the sixth seed and you have to play Washington State obviously you blew them out on your home floor but then you went to Pullman and lost and the Pac-12 tournament's a crapshoot anything can happen it's a neutral floor all bets are off and Anybody can beat anybody. And Washington State is one of those pesky teams with a few good players who can just come out and beat you on a given night. I mean, it, it can happen. So you want to try to get that at least that five seed, get in a situation where you play Cal, and then you go from there. That's kind of That's kind of where I'm at. There's still a lot on the table right now, and winning out is huge. So just focus on these games and do what you can do and let everything play itself out. I think... Worst-case scenario, they're probably a, if they win out, they're probably a five-seed. So it's a one-game-at-a-time type of approach. And I like these team, this team's chances on their home floor. They haven't played well on the road, but they've been a different team at home. That's kind of where they found their rhythm. They got a nice upset over Arizona State. And, you know, they, they're kind of in a groove, right? They were kind of in a groove before this most recent losing streak against the Washington schools. And I think they can definitely get it back. They can get that mojo back once they come back to Boulder and are playing in front of that packed crowd. Well, not packed because of the way the student section looks, but you understand my point. Anyway, Tuesday something starts. I know some of you have been watching the Alliance of American Football. That's been pretty exciting. Ryan Moeller, Nelson Spruce, two former buffs who have absolutely been tearing it up on uh, the gridiron. But if you're interested in NFL... Evan Worthington from Colorado, the lone buff invited to the combine, is probably our most intriguing prospect, one of the most intriguing prospects in the entire event. He said earlier this week that his goal is to run a 4-3-9, get under a 4-4, and I think he can do it. He said he wants to do so with those long strides and you know, short bursts that he have, and Mel Kuyper Jr. said he could potentially raise his stock to a day three pick. This is a very intriguing guy. Big safety, fast, rangy, can play in the box, can be the deep center fielder. Was a Pac-12 all-honorable mention in 2017 when he had 66 tackles and three interceptions. So he can do a little bit of it all. I mean, he was kind of banged up literally and figuratively this year, had three concussions dating back to spring camp of um, 2018 so there is some injury concerns there and you know I think his stock if you look at it at the beginning of the year and the end of the year I mean even though he's a later later round pick I think it probably went down a little bit but he's he's still a really good player who's capable of a lot and I think once NFL teams get to meet with him and see how he ticks it's only going to help him even better I mean he was suspended from the team and 2017 but he's really proven himself and you know buff fans have to be proud of how he rebounded he passed some drug tests i know that was a concern and you know he he's done a lot of good things uh since coming back to boulder and when scouts look at these guys they look at potential and i see a lot of it i think he he can do a lot to help himself out this week and heading into this weekend and i'm excited to see what he can do I think twenty seven twenty eighteen was not a fluke. He's or twenty seventeen rather, he's an excellent player and you know, he had a good run at CU as a McIntyre prodigy playing defensive back and I think he can potentially help an NFL team if he's able to run as fast as he thinks he can, score well on the drills and show what he's capable. He's someone who's gonna make a team happy, potentially is a late round pick, someone they feel they can mold and to someone who can play special teams or something of that nature. I really like the potential with Worthington, and I think teams see that if they can get past the injury concerns and the character issues that I think are probably well behind at this point. Anyway, that's all I have for this edition of Ralphie Report Radio. Be sure to stay tuned on RalphieReport.com. We'll have an exciting announcement regarding the expansion of our podcasting network. And I look forward to being on the ride with all of you.